Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for being our God, for being a God who is sovereign and who is in control. Father, a God who is who reigns from beginning to end. I thank you for being a God who has spoken, that we do not have to look to the future with, with great wonder. Um, we don't have to look at our present uh, with uncertainty. And we can be confident of what you've done in the past and how you're working presently and how you uh, will fulfill your promises as we look to the future. I thank you for that. Uh, I ask that you would be with us now as we begin the series and that you would teach us and speak to us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So Exodus is kind of a big book, second book of the Bible. And um, how many of you have ever started and um, stopped a read-through-the-Bible plan because you couldn't get through the first couple books of the Bible? Anybody? Okay. So a lot of people think, I'm going to read through the Bible, so where do you start? You know, start, start at the very beginning, you know. And you start in Genesis, and you start getting through Exodus, and there's a lot about the tabernacle and the laws and uh, the ornaments and the curtains and all this kind of stuff. And then you make it through that, and then you hit, like, Leviticus. And you're like, oof. Like, this is supposed to be my quiet time, you know? Like, I didn't, I didn't get anything out of that. And so there's a lot of context that needs to kind of be built in there. And so uh, what I, I want to propose this morning is we're just going to kind of do an overview of, of the book of Exodus and, and why it's important to study the book of Exodus and look at some of these early books. And, and I believe that to fully understand and engage in and enjoy something, kind of fill in the blank, whatever that might be, it's always going to be beneficial to have a, a good, clear understanding of the foundation, a good, clear understanding of the beginning. So once again, I want to propose that to fully understand or to engage or to enjoy fill in the blank, it's always going to be advantageous for us to understand how things started. For example, uh, Lauren and I got married five years ago, and we had uh, vastly different interests, different hobbies. So Lauren has always enjoyed uh, music. Um, she plays lots of instruments and she minored in, in uh, music in college and she always loved the, uh, the, the choir and choral music. And it's just lost on me. Like I enjoy singing um, and in my high school days I enjoyed rocking out. <laughs> but the whole, like, the whole, you know, people who love choral music, I'm like, all right, you know, good. Um, and I, and, but being married now to somebody who I uh, greatly love and, and, and hearing her talk about choral music and, and, and her training musically and, and the hours that she spent and the relationships that she spent and then all of these different conductors um, who uh, trained her and, and how, how to sing and how to use the body for different, making different sounds and, and all these things and as we've moved a couple times, we've undug old pictures and cassette tapes and <laughs> CDs and all this old choir stuff. And so I remember one time she was telling me about um, some, of the, some of the depth of understanding uh, choral music. And, and I hope I get this right. Lauren isn't here to help me uh, explain this. But if you're into choral music, maybe you know what I'm talking about. But she was explaining to me how when you have a, a choir who's good, who's, who's good, um, there's, uh, you can, the choir can sing the same pitch, and it's a certain pitch, and to, to listen to the same pitch done just right, you can begin to hear um, harmonies, I'm getting some nods, so you know what I'm talking about, within that single pitch, all right, so you're sitting there listening to it, and from the outside, you know, musical dummy, all I hear is like, you know, but if you start listening, you start hearing it open up into all of these different all of these different sounds as if other people are singing different pitches but they're not because of the way it's all working together and the way you know the sound works I'm like I had no idea I mean, there's such depth there and then they're using all this together to, to form this amazing uh, masterpiece essentially and and and, and she showed me these things and, it, and, it, and it, what it does is it broadens my appreciation it broadens my awe and it kind of makes me go, wow, that's, that's, I didn't see that before because I didn't see the background of some of that stuff. Conversely, um, when Lauren walked into my house 
uh, when we were dating, um, I showed her the war room, <laughs> okay? So as a single guy, I like guns, and um, I've been always intrigued with World War II, and so, you know, when I was in college, I saw Saving Private Ryan, and I found like a helmet at a thrift store, and like, this is cool, and, and then I found a bayonet somewhere, and a, a military-issued shovel with 1945 stamped in, it's like this World War II era, and just kind of got intrigued, and so I started like collecting this stuff, you know, and, and I was a single guy, and so I put all this stuff in her room, and I had guns on the walls, you know, and I had a, I had a mannequin with a uniform. I mean, it was, looking back, it was a little creepy, all right? And I'm not, I'm not a doomsday prepper. Um, but, you know, Lauren, she walks in, and she's like, like, what? Uh, who is this guy I'm dating? And, um, but thankfully, uh, when I invited her over, there was another couple that came over too, and I started telling the guy, um, you know, this is this weapon when it was developed and who used it and why it was important in the war, and this is this type of thing and that. And she started hearing me talk about the, the background, and she and she started thinking, okay, so maybe it's not all all weird. <laughs> um, and as I began studying World War II, people asked me, Danny, why why that era do you enjoy so much? And I like to say, well, it's you know, it's a war that we were losing for a long time, and uh, most of the world was under the control of the Axis powers, and it was pretty scary, and it was, I mean, maybe, depending on how you look at it, 15 years after World War I, when, like, literally a generation died, and so nobody wanted it, and you kind of look at the background and the history of how did this, this maniac come in power, and you see how that actually worked, and nobody wanted to do anything, and you did this and this, next thing you know, Europe is under control, and then Africa didn't really have a play, and South America was kind of too underdeveloped to make a difference, and you had England, and next thing you know, um, you know, we were, we were losing for a long time, um, and it was scary, and, and, and you know, your, maybe your grandparents, my grandparents, they had to, you know, black their windows because of invasion, and Sullivan's Island has got forts, you know, it's because we thought we were going to be invaded. And like, you know, and so I started looking at the background and just kind of came to life. And it's no longer just, hey, we won, we're America, hoo, hoo, hoo. Uh, but like that was a significant era because of the background, because of the history, because of how it started, because of how we got there. And so I believe that when we look at the book of Exodus, what it does is it shows that it's actually foundational. I mean, right now, 2016, we are, we're way down the line, spiritually speaking, you know, we're. We're way down the line, and, and if you're a believer in Christ, you are able to look back and see the goodness of the gospel, and you're able to look back and see the cross and what happened there. You're able to look, go back and look and see who Jesus was and what he did and why it was important. But what's also important is for us to recognize that the beginning books of the Bible lay the foundation, and understanding that foundation opens the book even further to have greater awe, greater wow, greater understanding and, be, and, and for us as believers to be able to engage in a much greater way. What, what the book of Exodus does is it gives us incredible, vital insight into who God is. Not only into who God is, but how he relates to his people. And that's pretty important. It gives us vital information on who God is and how God relates to his people. So if we were to remove that information from our understanding of God, would we be, we'd be completely lost? Uh, maybe not, because we see Jesus, and you don't have to know the entire context of the Old Testament to know that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus is the only way. But it opens your eyes, it opens your heart, it opens your mind to go deeper and engage at a whole different level when you understand the foundation. The book of Exodus is a historical record. It's a beautifully crafted narrative of God's promises to and for his people. God's promises to and for his people. It's a historical account of how God works through tragedy, how God works through history, how God works through the raising up of kingdoms and the tearing down of kingdoms for his purposes, how he controls the natural order for his purposes, that he holds the laws of science in his hands and he manipulates them in a positive way for his glory and to keep his promises to his, cho his chosen people. The book of Exodus shows how God displays himself and his ways to those in whom he has chosen. 
So it's, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. And it helps us understand at a whole new level who our God is and how he interacts with his chosen people. So the first thing that I want to do is I want us to look and see where Exodus kind of falls in the timeline of history and the history of uh, God interacting with his people. Um, there are five categories of books in the Old Testament. All right. How many books are in the Old Testament? Remember this from back in the day? Anybody? Huh? 39. 39. Okay, so there's 39 Old Testament books, and those 39 books are broken into five genres, essentially. So do we know what they are? You've got the law, the Torah, law. the prophets, the books of wisdom, um, and then you've got your major and your minor prophets. Law, okay. history. His, yeah, there you go, history. Mm-hmm. Law, history, major, minor, um, wisdom. Okay, so we got the law, which is the Torah. It's the first five books of the Old Testament written by Moses. All right, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's, that's the law. And you have history, like First and Second Kings, the, the history of the kings, chronicles, you know, the chronicles. Uh, history, um, wisdom literature, like Psalms, uh, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and then the major, minor prophets speaking. Uh, Exodus is the second book of the law, the second book of the Pentateuch. Moses is its author. And Moses is considered the first major prophet because he was a spokesman for God. Um, so if, if that's where we're at in Exodus, I want us to begin in a, kind of in a quick way uh, of looking at Genesis. Because you can't really understand Exodus unless we take a quick look at what has happened in Genesis. So I would like for... Um, you to flip to the book of Genesis um, and uh, hit chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12. There's a couple foundational things that we see in the book of Exodus. And I want you to track with me here because truly I, I want us to build this foundation. All right, so think of it like a house. You got to start from the bottom and build up. Eventually we get to the Gospels, but right now we're looking at the law. So a couple foundational themes of the book of Genesis is first, what's established in the book of Genesis is that there's one God and he's the creator of all. This is big information, <laughs> okay? Now, it might seem like a little kid's Sunday school information, but this is truly, if you're going to start somewhere, that's where it needs to start, all right? So the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see that there is one God and he is the creator of all things. So the second thing we see in Genesis, aside from one God and creator of all things, is that he has established a covenant between God and man. This is where I'm going to need some people to help me read. I'm going to, I'm going to divvy these out. Who wants to read Genesis chapter 12, verse 2? I'm going to need several volunteers. All right, right here, bones. Genesis 12, 3. Second verse right after that, Genesis 12, 3. Um, Nick, right? I got that wrong on Thursday. Uh, Genesis 12, 5, 6, and 7. Thanks, Bo. Uh, Genesis 15, all right, a couple chapters later. Genesis 15, verse 6. And Genesis 15, verse 18. Evan? All right, we'll, we'll keep it there. All right, so Genesis, we see big, big statement, God is the creator, uh, and that there is one God. Second big thing we need to see is that God has, has established a covenant between himself and mankind. So, Genesis uh, 12, 2, what has God promised in this covenant? I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Great. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you can be a blessing. We're establishing the covenant here. Right, the covenant comes with promises, and these are the promises. And we're going re to review these, but it's good for us to understand what are, these, what are these promises? What is this covenant? So God is a creator. There is one God, and he has made a covenant between himself and man, and he's made promises in that covenant. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
All right, so the promises are getting bigger. Not only will I make you a great nation, not only will I bless you, not only will I make your name great, but I will, I will bless those who are kind to you. All right, so even I'm, I'm, I'm going to so value you that that blessing is going to bleed into other people and other people groups. So when you're nice to my people, I will bless you. If you curse my people, I will curse you. So I will fight for you. I will fight for you, God says. Um, and it says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed. So this, this covenant, this promise is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Genesis chapter 12, 5, 6, and 7. So Abram, at this point, moves uh, and travels to the land of Canaan, which we later see is the promised land. And God says, to your offspring, I will give you this land, speaking literally, all right, this, this property, this massive real estate. Genesis chapter 15, a couple chapters later, verse 6. Keep going. I must have had the wrong verse there. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Then there's a pause. Yeah, keep going. But he said, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half. All right, stop there. Sorry, man. I went. I, I sent you in the wrong direction. Verse five. <laughs> Verse five. And he brought him outside and said, "Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them." And he said to him, "So shall your offspring be." Thank, thank you for that. We're not going to get into the cut of the splitting in half of the animals, <laughs> though that is part of the covenant that we will address. So he says, look towards heaven, number the stars if you're able, and so shall your offspring be. So the book of Genesis is foundational, all right, the first foundation, because we see that God is one, that he is the creator of all, and that he is making a covenant with his people. And in that covenant, there's great depth, there's great promise, there's great hope. We just saw that it says, well, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You so you can be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who dishonor you. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And your offspring, I will give this land. And your numbers will greatly increase. Look at the stars in heaven. If you can count them, that's how big your offspring will be. This is the covenant between God and man. Genesis chapter 15, verse 18. Great. So that's the covenant summary. On, this, uh, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. All right, that text that Evan just read is the uh, conclusion of what Josh was just beginning to read, and that's the story of the covenant between Abraham and God. To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt, the great river, to the river Euphrates, and in the land of the so-and-so-ites, and the so-and-so-ites, and the so-and-so-ites, and the so-and-so-ites, and it goes through 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. I think it's 11 people groups, which is the land of Canaan. So this will be, this will be your inheritance. This is the land that I will give you. As a part of this covenant, there are prophecies made, future tellings. All right, so here's another batch that I want people to read. Uh, Genesis 15, verse 13. Genesis 15, 13. Josh. Genesis uh, 15, 14. Genesis 15, 14. The next for Jeremiah. And then Genesis 15, 16. 13, 14, 16. Timothy. So, foundational. Genesis. God is one. 
God is the creator of all things. God has made a covenant with his people, and he has made many promises through that covenant. And through that covenant, he makes prophetic, uh, God makes prophetic statements. So, Genesis 15, 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, Go to certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. You hear prophecies here? Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. All right, if you, if you know some of the backstory, where, where do you think that might be? Egypt. All right, it says, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And they will be servants there. Do we know how the, the Exodus story really begins? They were enslaved. They were, they were made into slaves. And it says that they will be afflicted for 400 years. Exodus chapter 12, verse 40, specifies that the children of Israel were in Egypt 430 years. So this reference in, in Genesis is, a, is an estimate, um, but it's proving true. Genesis chapter 15, verse 14. I will, bring I will bring judgment on the nation that they, meaning the Israelites, serve. Egypt was definitely judged. They were judged through the ten plagues. They were judged through uh, their entire military force being wiped out in the Red Sea. That was the judgment. That was the judgment by, by God. And it says, afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. Exodus chapter 12, verse 36, that says that when the children of Israel were finally released by Pharaoh, it says that the children of Israel went out and asked the Egyptians for their gold, and they gave it to them. And the Bible actually says um, that they plundered the Egyptians. All right? So they went through, leaving, and the Egyptians just gave them their stuff, gave them their weapons, gave them their gold. And a little rabbit trail, a little tidbit of information that we'll get to later in the, when we do the study in, in coming weeks. You know, when God gives us possessions, they're from God. He gives us the ability to steward them, and the, the possessions and the, the material stuff that we have uh, is, is really either going to be used for uh, idol worship or God worship. <laughs> and so when the children of Israel found themselves in the middle of the desert, um, guess what gold was used to build the golden calf? You know, Or guess what gold was used later to build the tabernacle? It's the gold plundered by the Egyptians. And so it's just, it, we're in the same boat. You're given things by God, and we have opportunities to either use them in one, worship, one form of worship or another. Genesis chapter 15, verse 16. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. The descendant of the Amorites has not yet reached its fullness. In the fourth generation, which when you look at the generations, you see this prophecy coming true. And then it ends with this interesting statement. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Which we'll get to later when we look at the book of Exodus. Um, I think one of the things that's important for us to look at when we look at the book of Exodus is to realize that, that Exodus is not this big uh, mishap that God comes to the rescue for. That Exodus isn't this, um, just this uh, confusing time in the, in the life of Israel where God kind of uh, re-remembers re his covenant. But we need to look at this. Chapter 15 in Genesis is the giving of the covenant. Right, this is the beginning. This is the beginning of the covenant between God and man. And so God is saying to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I will give your offspring this land. You look up to the heavens, you see the stars. So will your offspring be. But you're going to sojourn for a while. Your, your people will, be, will grow, but they'll be enslaved. But I, I will judge those people. I will punish those people. I will provide for you. I will give you great possessions. He says it all at the beginning. So it's not like you just fast forward 400 years and people are like, who saw this coming? Well, God saw it coming and Abraham saw it coming. And when Abraham taught uh, Isaac, Ab uh, Isaac then taught 
Jacob, and then Jacob taught his 12 sons, and his 12 sons went to Egypt because there was a great famine in the land. And the 12 sons grew into great numbers in the land of Egypt, as was prophesied. Um, and these promises of God and these prophetic details were named to generation after generation after generation. So God is good in how he works. So we see the timeline of the book of, of Genesis. We see Abraham, we see Isaac, we see Jacob, and we see the 12 sons of Jacob entering Egypt. And that's where Genesis ends. All right? uh, the story of Joseph is one of the 12 sons. He is in Egypt, and the other 11 come. Their father Jacob comes and dies, and they bury him in, uh, back in their homeland. Um, so Genesis is, the, is, a, is a huge beginning. So the next step in that foundation process of understanding our faith comes in the book of Exodus. And so the question I want to ask now is, is what makes Exodus so foundational? Because we've established huge things. So there is one God that he's creator of all things. He has made a covenant which includes many promises to his chosen people. Exodus picks up um, and it covers a ton of ground instantly. So hit Exodus chapter 1 with me, please. Genesis ends with 12 brothers. So God's chosen people are not very big. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. Exodus chapter 1 says, These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt. First of all, Israel is Jacob. Okay. Um, God changed his name uh, to Israel. So these are the names of the sons of Jacob or Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70, so not that big, 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died. All of his brothers and all, all of that generation, but the people of Israel were fruitful and they increased greatly, and they multiplied, and they grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Verse 8, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Um, flip to um, Exodus chapter 12, verse 40. Somebody read uh, Exodus 12, verse 40, please. Read it out. Now the time that the sons of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. All right, so the, from the time of uh, Joseph and his brothers entering Egypt to the time of the Exodus, 430 years had passed, fulfilling the prophecy from Genesis 15, 13, that they will be afflicted for 400 years. Somebody read... Uh, uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 37. Just a couple of verses before. That night the people of Israel left Ramses and started for Succoth. There were about 600,000 men. How far were they in Egypt? Most scholars believe that's about 2 million people. All right, so the second prophecy is fulfilled right off the bat. So the question is why is, is Exodus so foundational? Well, it picks up the historical account, and it helps us walk along the path of God's providences and immediately covers 430 years, essentially, in the first eight verses and fulfills two promises of the covenant. One is that uh, they'll be in a foreign land for uh, a very specific amount of time and that your numbers will be great. So in these multiple, of gen multiple generations where Pharaoh no longer knows who Joseph was, who is a key figure in Egyptian history, uh, the children of Israel multiply to 600,000 men plus women and children, which most, most scholars believe to be about 2 million people. The second reason why Exodus is foundational is it shows God's faithfulness to his covenant. It shows God's faithfulness to his covenant. I'd like somebody to read chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. And then I have, a, I have a couple, so let me throw these out there. Who wants to read 2, 24, and 25? Grayson, uh, 3, 7 through 10. 
Josh Lohman. Um, six, five. Mary Elizabeth. And 33, one through three. Rachel. Uh, in that order, two, 24, and 25. God heard their groaning. Sorry, I'm interrupting. God heard their groaning and remembered. That's the point. God heard and remembered. All right, so the second foundational tr- uh, truth of Exodus is that God is faithful to his covenant people. He hears and he responds. All right, I'm going to interrupt some of you here. Three, seven through ten. I have seen and heard. I have seen and heard, and I respond. Thank you. Uh, uh, verse six, or chapter six, verse five. I have heard and I have remembered. I mean, there's a theme going on here, and it keeps going. Uh, Thirty-three, chapter thirty-three, verses one through three. Thank you. I, have, I, I, I will do these things. I will continue to do these things as I have promised. I have heard. I have heard your groaning. I, have, I, will, I will remember. So the second foundational principle is that God shows his faithfulness to his covenant and to his covenant people. He hears and he keeps. But not only does he hear and keep, he provides. Now this is, to me, where the story gets beautiful and the story becomes awe-inspiring. I'm just going to run through a spattering of things that we see in the book of Exodus on how God provides for his covenant people. God spoke to Moses and basically said, I want you to do this with my power. And, God said, and Moses said, how, how, how can I know? I, I, need, I need some sort of proof. God provided proof and sign that he would do Uh, proofs and signs that he would do the things that he said he would do. He said, throw your staff down and it'll turn into a snake by my power. Put your hand inside your cloak and it will turn leprous by my power. Put it back in, it'll be healed by my power. I will prove myself. And God proves himself over and over and over. It doesn't make God God. It just makes dumb people see, (laughs) you know, is what it is. God provides a spokesperson. So if if you get your tongue cut out, God can still speak through you. All right, if, 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 if tragedy happens, God can still speak through you. He provided Aaron to Moses. God provided Moses, who was the deliverer of the children of Israel. God provided deliverance from death, uh, uh, the, the, the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn. God provided deliverance from slavery here. God provided salvation from their enemies and conquered them, conquered them before their eyes in the death of the Egyptians in the Red Sea. God provided water when the water that they had was bitter. God provided water when there was no water. God provided manna when there was no food. When they got tired of manna, God provided quail when they wanted meat. God provided possessions. God provided weapons with gold and jewelry that they took um, and used later for worship. God provided guardrails of remembrance via the feasts of unleavened bread and the Passover to say, you're going to forget this, so you need to form a structure that I will lay out there so that you will continue to go back and remember the good things because we forget. We naturally forget. We, we all get numb to things that we are around all the time, and God provided guardrails of remembrance. God provided the defeat of enemies and protection against the Amalekites when they were picking off the old and the young at the end of the line. God provided practical wisdom that some people would say is is almost uh, business Dave Dave Ramsey-like instruction that God provided to Moses through Jethro, his father-in-law, in in the structure of how to lead two million people, all right? This isn't like a, all right, you know, follow me. You know, raise up the flag like a tour group downtown. There's two million people. You know, it might it might take weeks. It might take weeks for that entire group just to pass a rock in the desert. There's that many people, and so there's a structure that's provided uh, to the people of Israel. God God provided laws that brought order to this uh, mass of two million people. God provided commands and what it looks like for man to live in obedience 
with God. God provided laws of social justice. God provided ways to have legitimate rest so that you wouldn't exhaust yourself to death, which is the tendency of man. God provided hope in the book of Exodus with the promise of the promised land. God provided the opportunity and the means by which they could worship and maintain a right relationship with God through the tabernacle. God provided mercy when they didn't deserve it, and they were bowing down merely days after the exodus to the golden calf. God provided mercy. God provided the leadership of Moses and the delegation that he had, and this just goes on. So the provision of God is is screaming from the book of Exodus. So the foundational principles of Exodus is that the timeline continues as God had foreordained through the promises that he laid out and the prophecies that he laid out in the covenant between him and Abraham, and God shows his faithfulness to his people. The third foundational principle of Exodus is that God provides a structure to what the relationship between God and man looks like. God provides the structure between what the relationship between God and man looks like. When I take a big book of the Bible like like this, you know, in my own personal study, what I like to do is I like to actually print this out on eight and a half by 11 and staple it together and highlight and pen and kind of do all this stuff. And, um, and so I started printing Exodus, but like it's too thick. Like we didn't have a stapler to do it. So we had to, had to we, we do have a binder <laughs> in the office, you know, so like I had this thing bound. And so it's this, it's just a paper notebook, but it's, it's so big. And to get my head around a big book of the Bible, I've got to break it down based on some of its structures, you know, just some of the basic structures to help me understand where the book is going as it's trying to communicate a clear purpose because it's a narrative. Geographically speaking, the book of Exodus just kind of happens in two places. Egypt and, and, the, and the departure is, is kind of 1 through 19. It's 40, 40 chapters. And then 19-ish through the end is at Mount Sinai. You know? And so uh, it, geographically, it's, it's just kind of cut in, in two places. But the second way that you can look <clears throat> at the division of the book of Exodus is the subject matter. And what's interesting is essentially 50% of the book of Exodus is the giving of the law and how to build the tabernacle. Like 50% of the content of this, of this whole book is, is taken up with this, of the subject really of worship and, and the structure of the relationship between God and man. So the, 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 the structure of the relationship between God and man is pretty stinking important. Pretty stinking important. That God is saying, listen, I have covenanted with you, and you are now 2 million people. And what this is not is 2 million people having their own ideas of what this is supposed to look like. And unfortunately, we see that in the church in America now. Are you tracking with me? I mean, let's take a simple kind of t-ball example. If you take 350 million people in America, and you say, what do you think marriage looks like? Boom and boom. I was reading... um, a dumb article about uh, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell, all right? And they've been together for 37 years, maybe? Never married, got kids, multiple kids, and are, are, are kind of taking a staunch example of that. Like marriage kind of ruins things, you know? And, they, and, and she said, like, if we would have gotten married, this thing wouldn't have lasted. <laughs> so I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But that's, they, they look at this thing that we call marriage and say it's about it's about commitment and relationship. Um, okay, well, I mean, it is a commitment and relationship, but whatever. And then, and then aside from the whole sexuality of, of uh, homosexual or non-homosexual or what, I mean, you have, you have multiple uh, issues of understanding and, and, and opinions and all these different things. And, and then what's happening is everyone's pointing at each other now right and saying who's to say you're right when i believe this and i believe this and you believe this and this is my experience and this is your experience and isn't it all about love anyway can i determine how i love it's the same thing with worshiping god people say well it's between me and god that's the issue you know so if i want to go to church i'll go to church but if i want to go sit in the beach and just kind of meditate and just be awed at the at the waves licking up on the sand and that's my personal worship i'm like eh you're gonna you're gonna sink man in your walk with christ because that's not how it's designed all right, so you've got two million people, and 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 you have multiple. I mean, not everybody was righteous 
I mean, they all were worshiping the golden calf at some point. And so God is saying, listen, I'm going to provide a structure for your benefit and for my glory. This is what it looks like. And I, as God, am going to come into your presence via the tabernacle. And I think this is going to be exciting when we start unpacking it. It's not just this tent that they set up with a little altar that's kind of symbolic and representative. It says that that God came down in a cloud and filled that place. And God was with the people. God was with the people. And that God would leave the tabernacle, and that's when the people would know that they were to leave. And so God was with them. He was, he was actually with them. And he says, if I, as God of all things, am going to come down to earth, it's going to look like how I say it's going to look. And let me tell you about it. This is a big deal. Not only that, but this is how you behave. This is how you act. This is how you interact with me. And this is how you interact with other people who are made in my image. That's why there's all these laws about not only worship, but social justice. All right? And then when we get into Leviticus, which is, is, is a more detailed retelling, we're not going to get into Leviticus, but when you, if you want to read Leviticus, it's a more detailed telling of what just life and culture and worship is supposed to look like. There's standards. And so it's not just, hey, let's take a vote on what we think this looks like, or why don't you just do the thing that, that, that most tugs at your own heart. It's saying, let's see what God said and base our worship off of that. That's 50% of the book of Exodus. So it can get bogged down of like the curtains and the pomegranates and the table of bread and all these different things. But we're going to kind of look at some of those things together and say, uh, what, 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 is this, what does this mean? Why did God say these things? And what does that have to do with us right now? And it says a lot because this is the foundation. This is the foundation that we're building on. So it structures the relationship between God and man. And the fourth foundational principle that we see in the book of Exodus is that it sets God's people on a straight path towards the ultimate fulfillment of God's covenant. It sets God's people on a straight path towards the ultimate fulfillment of God's covenant. When God made the covenant with Abraham, he said, I, through you, I will bless all the families of the earth. Abraham didn't really know what that looked like, but he believed it. He didn't know when. He didn't know who. He didn't know how, but he believed it. He believed God's promises. And what we see through the unpacking of the Gospels and the New Testament, we see the fulfillment of that that New Testament believers are able to look back with unveiled eyes and see what was once fuzzy and was once a shadow of a promise, not sure what this is going to actually look like when all the nuts and bolts come together. New Testament believers are able to say, boom, crystal clear, 2020 vision. This is what the fulfillment of the covenant looks like. And Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect one who gave himself who died for the sins of man and then proved that he was God by raising himself from the dead and then ascending back into heaven, establishing his church to continue moving forward. That's what it looks like. The prophets of old, the people of old, they knew that there was a promise. They knew that they had things to look forward to. They just didn't have a full, clear understanding. And it's almost like what we see through, the, through Exodus is, is what, what I want to call is a, a click in the binoculars, okay? I, like, I remember... My mom and dad, I was not raised like a hunter or an outdoorsman, all right? You put me in the woods, I'd probably die, <laughs> all right, like in 12 hours, <laughs> you know? Like, um, but I remember my mom and dad, after I left the house, of course, they moved out to the woods, um, and they had this room, and it looked out into this big field, and they'd see wildlife and all this stuff, and they had a pair of binoculars sitting out there, and you could sit there, and you got the little little thing that can help you focus, you know what I'm talking about? So it's like the book of Exodus looks at something that's kind of blurry, and it begins clicking that focus so it's, it gets one shade more clear, but it hasn't, it hasn't come fully yet. It's the clicking of the binoculars towards Jesus. So it's Jesus out there who is fuzzy, 
You don't have a full understanding, but you see that something is out there. You believe it. And we see this because all through the book of Exodus, we see types. All right, the word type. A type, by definition, is something that is used as a pattern or a template of a greater reality. A type is something that is used as a pattern or a template of a coming greater reality. It's a foreshadowing of something much bigger. It is a veiled, incomplete image of something larger yet to be revealed. And we see types all through the book of Exodus. And when they start coming to life, it's pretty exciting. So we see types of Christ. Not Christ, but we see examples that help us shape the model, that shape the image of what that will one day be like. I mean, think about Moses. Who was Moses? Moses was a man who was sent by God to an enslaved people who conquered the enslaver and destroyed the enslaver and then miraculously led them out of slavery and the people followed, followed him. Does it sound like Christ? You know? What about the children of Israel themselves? Exodus chapter 4, 22, God says through Moses to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. Have we heard that terminology before? Israel is my firstborn son. It's a t- like Even the nation of Israel represents a foreshadowing of what Christ is going to do. I'm going to redeem you because you're mine. I love you. The tabernacle, the building of the tabernacle, is the place where God dwells. Well, what do we know now after Christ has come? Is that God dwells with us, in us, if you're, if you're a believer. That God tabernacles in you. That you are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So the tabernacle is a foreshadow. It's a type of the relationship that will one day come, but it's still fuzzy out there. I mean, who would have thought that the Holy of Holies, the place that if you walked into and you weren't a Levite called by God, that you'd be struck dead? Who, who would have thought that we would all become a, a holy priesthood and that we would all become a, a individual tabernacles between us and God? We didn't, they didn't know that yet. But that is the, the clear, sweet fulfillment of the type of the tabernacle. What about the giving of the law? You know what the law is? The law is God's word. God has spoken. God exists and God has spoken. He doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't leave us to just figure out some riddle or some uh, 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 wild goose chase or some treasure map. He says, I will give you my word to follow. John 1, 1, and the word came. Capital W, Jesus. So the giving of the word on Sinai is a type of the giving of the son who is the word in John 1, 1. And, 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 it, and it keeps going. So all throughout the book of Exodus, we see these types, these examples, these templates that give clues and, and examples of what, of what it's going to be like one day. Um, so this is how I, I want us to look at um, Exodus. As, as kind of a pyramid, all right, we have... Genesis. I'm going to make this the big foundation on the bottom. All right, then we have Exodus. Which is God is faithful to his covenant. um, And he has provided structure to his people. That we already established that God is the creator and he has made a covenant between God and man and that there's one God. And then we basically, and this is a very simplistic version here, but what we have is the bulk of the rest of the Old Testament. Of the Old Testament. We have the wisdom literature. We have uh, the minor prophets and the major prophets. And then we have the books of history. All right, so we have a, a huge establishment God is one, he is the creator of all things, and he has made a covenant between God and man. And then God is faithful to that covenant. And then here is the structure for that covenant, and here's how it plays out. Ups and downs, obedience, disobedience, blessings and curses throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And then what do we get? The gospel, or the gospels, the telling of Jesus and the story and the fulfillment of that covenant. 
What happens after the gospel? What's the next book? Acts. All right, this is the establishment of the church, that Jesus Christ has come, and then he has ascended, and he establishes his church. The next section of the New Testament are the letters, which are basically adding structure. All right, you see, you see how it's all kind of working together? It's adding structure of how this plays out, further teaching for the church and God's people. And then it ends... Revelation. God begins and God ends. And everything in the Old Testament is pointing to the gospel and then everything in time now looks back towards the gospel. But understanding this piece is pretty important. So, the book of Exodus can help us understand and grow in awe and help us, enable us to build greater and greater application to the word of God even today. So we're going to be looking at things that seem archaic, looking at things that, that seem old, like, like sacrifices and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but understanding them uh, opens our eyes and opens our minds and opens our heart to get a more full view of God working. The cool thing is, is that you, you're in this plan. God has not fully revealed every single thing to us, but he has revealed everything that we need to know. So when God told Abraham that I will bless you, I will bless all the families of the earth through you, that's enough for what Abraham needed to know. When God told Abraham that your people will grow really large, but they're going to be enslaved for quite a while, but I will lead them out and I will punish those who had enslaved them, he didn't know all the pictures of what was going on there. And so we are living, if this is some sort of a timeline, we're in here somewhere. We're in the church age. The church has been established, and we're still in that age. We're still in the Acts age. All right, and one day, this age will come to an end here in the fulfillment of time in the book of Revelation. And it's important for us to understand how it began so that we can grow in, in awe and worship and understanding of our God and our faith and how God works and who he is and how he interacts with his chosen people, which is you and I if you're a Christ follower. So that's a summary of the book of Exodus, and I'm excited to jump into it. We are not going to go uh, through Exodus, and it's 40 chapters verse by verse. We're going to take some themes and run with those themes, so this is not going to be like an 87-week series uh, on the book of Exodus, but hopefully what this has done here is provide you some, some structure of some of the things that we are beginning to see um, with this uh, book that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So thanks for being here this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your goodness, and I thank you for your word and for providing for us this backstory. And please help us to learn um, what it is that we need to learn, that we would see things we haven't seen before. In Jesus' name, amen.